Welcome to Canada. Harrison. <laughs> oh, no. Harrison, are you still my friend? Yes. <laughs> I'm oh. sorry. I just I had to get that one little dig in. That's that's fair. That's fair. That's the size <laughs> So um as we've been advertising for a few weeks now, as I've been eager looking forward to visiting my good friend Father Harrison in Canada, giving a mission to his parish. In preparation for this, I uh you know, for the last you know couple months, whatever Harrison's like, uh, Harrison's been like, you should find your passport. And my brain was like, I know where my passport is. It's either here, here, or here. Mm-hmm. I've got different stacks of documents. No problem. I'm not worried about this at all. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday, I'm like, you know what? I'm traveling this week. Let's go grab that passport. Mm-hmm. Dug around for it. Found it. Super happy. I found it. Mm-hmm. Uh, opened it up. Look at this picture of me. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. I look. I look pretty young in that picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot younger than I do now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, scrolled down uh, with my eyeballs, and uh, my uh, passport expired uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, turns out uh, there's not really a good way to get your passport renewed in like four days. In um, America, at least. In Canada, you yeah. can. Well, in America, I could, actually. If you so flew to Honolulu. This- Exactly. So I, I called the, the government people and I, I was hopeful because you're only allowed to make your appointment within five days of your travel. Uh-huh. I mean, you can make it the appointment earlier, but the appointment has to be set for within five days of your travel. So right. I, like, I read that like, okay, there's a shot here. So I called Monday morning, kept calling, kept calling, finally got through. Nice lady. Um, didn't seem shocked by my travel date or anything. Was feeling more and more hopeful. Gave her my zip code. And then uh, after being on hold for a while, says uh, the only appointment available within the time frame is in Honolulu, Hawaii. And then I laughed. I laughed because it felt better than crying in the moment. You could have done a day trip to Honolulu. You know, I guess I could have. Um, (laughs) But that ship has sailed. That plane has flown. And uh, then I was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. There is this thing where I can get like my passport within four days. And I uh, clicked a button, was going to pay like 800 bucks to get this done. Oh my gosh. And I realized the, the, the turnaround is four days. Yeah. Um, I still have to mail everything in. And that would be like best case scenario, five days. And it just it wasn't going to work out. So I had to text and call Father Harrison, mea culpa. And you've been so cool about this. You've been great. <laughs> you've been such a good friend about all of this. Oh, I'm glad. Um, but yeah, so that's, so that's what happens. So quickly, just so you know, in Canada, if you're mm-hmm. travel, if you need it within ten days or less, you can get next day service for only 110 dollars extra. That's amazing. So you know, people always go on about how you know Canada's all socialist and communist and everything. And yeah, every time I hear about the American legal system and tax system, I think this is literally crazy. This is crazy making, and I'm so glad I'm in Canada where these things are just a lot simpler and easier for people to do. Like, uh, uh, like we should. Yeah. I, I thought this should be bureaucracies love these things because it just means they're just putting your paperwork at the top. It means mm-hmm. no extra processes for them, and they can charge you more for it, and so they make more money. So they're yeah. always happy to do this. But in the States, this doesn't seem to be so simple. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I can't do this online. Everything mm-hmm. else is online. So, yeah, I mean, so when you texted on Sunday, I knew exactly <laughs> I knew exactly why you said call me. I knew exactly why. I mean, <laughs> this is perhaps why I was saying, hey, you should check your passport in case you need to. Yeah, I was thinking, what if it's expired? I mean, I should have said that 
out loud, I guess. But um, no, this is not your fault. <laughs> I know. No, I know. I know. I know. I, I trust me. I know that. But I was like, oh, I guess I could say yeah. that out loud. Like, hey, make sure it's not expired because mm-hmm. who's traveled internationally in the last two years? Uh, yeah. But when you, uh, weirdly enough, I kind of half expected this to happen. Really? And I'm not, that's why I'm not mad about it because stuff happens and I know where, how your decision processes work sometimes. Uh (laughs) And it may not always be to everyone's benefit. Uh And that's the way it is. Yeah. So Um, why should I be mad about that? I'm I'm glad you're not. And Uh, and what can I do? What would, what would anger do? Nothing. So why be angry? That's that's all makes perfect sense. Um, <laughs> you're being very rational about all this. Uh, I, however, have not been very rational about all this. I've been in a pit of despair for the last 48 hours because um, that's where my brain goes to. Uh, and it turns out, you know, Harrison, you're right about my decision-making process because um, I'm also very far behind on different things in RCIA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the blessings of this is that I actually can get all this paperwork tracked down hopefully receive delegation for a right of election that my RCA candidates missed because I'm stupid. Uh, so it's just been, uh, it's been, everything's been coming up Sharapa lately. Uh. <laughs> and I know for you with anxiety stuff, when it mm-hmm. hits hard, it hits deep and it makes, you know, it can make us want to avoid doing tasks. Yes. So that's just the way it is. I have avoidance things too. And I, that takes over and I can be weak in those areas too. So, you know, we're all yeah. sinners who need God's mercy. Now there is there is some good news. Uh-huh. Um, we have a voucher for the plane ticket. Yes. So we got to make something happen at some point we're, here. We're, we're gonna unless you know. gas is like you know twenty dollars a gallon, then you know our plane ticket might cover one leg of a trip. That's also true. <laughs> mm. uh, but you know, who knows what will happen five to eleven weeks from now when I get my passports uh, renewed <laughs> in the right. old-fashioned way? Because <laughs> there's no point in making it. You're going through an expedient process. No, exactly. exactly. I know. Oh, my yeah. gosh. It is what it is. But now guess yeah. guess who gets to do a parish mission next week? You do. And that's what I actually feel worse about because you have also had trials and tribulations as a pastor. And now I got to dump a parish mission on top of that um, for you. So welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Anthony. <laughs> Father Harrison. Yeah. So... I, yes, this is, I said to my staff, whatever appointments are in, that's it. Uh, don't add anything else. unless like an emergency, please. Um, because, uh, like it, we just got actually a call to the hospital, but it's not emergency, emergency. And I said, call the other priest, the other parish. Yeah. Um, because oh, they're not a parishioner. I'm like, great. Get father Joseph to do it, please. Because, mm-hmm. uh, he has nothing to do. <laughs> Well, that's, <laughs> that's actually not true, but he doesn't have the responsibilities I have in the diocese and stuff. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it is what it is. I've just, I've just kind of come to accept the fact that I'm never going to have a normal week in my life ever again. And mm-hmm. that something's going to come up, some tragedy or some event is going to happen. That's going to knock off all my planning. And so that's just life. <laughs> and so you just got to roll with the punches now. So, uh, um, the one little sadness in it all was we we're going to have a welcome to Canada party on Saturday night I know. and birthday party. So we had all the meals and stuff planned. And I mean, it makes planning the 
people are still going to come. Uh, it just makes playing the party a lot easier now. I can just order a bunch of yeah. pizza and get some yeah. cheeks, and there you go. Uh, but that was gonna, that was going to be a lot of fun. We'll do it next time you come to Canada. Uh, but mm-hmm. um, and some people were looking forward to meeting you, obviously. But uh, um, we'll make it happen again in the future. But yeah. So now I'm like, okay, I got to finish. I got to figure out what I'm going to do for a parish mission. I think I'm going to do a parish mission on what is a parish. Ah. Because we're coming out of COVID, and I, I mm-hmm. you know, I don't have to. I could just say, fine, we're just not having one. Yeah. Um, I could, perhaps that's the rational thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I really think it's important uh, because we've had two years of pretty much nothing, and coming yeah. out of COVID, I'm expecting our restrictions to be announced to be removed this week. I don't know when that'll actually take force, but I'm ex- we're having they're having a press conference on the future of that stuff on Thursday. And so I'm expecting life to be very normal here very soon, which is great. Um, and so coming out of that, we need some spiritual renewal about what it means to be a parish again. So I'm leaning towards that. I'll take in some canon law, take in some catechism, take in some stuff I've thought about around the pandemic and coming out of a par- about out of what parish is and, and what the church, and it really it's, and you know, bringing in some ecclesiology, I guess, uh, some personal mm-hmm. experience. Uh, that's kind of what I'm leaning towards for a parish mission. And then I will be a smart person with, I've done it one parish mission before that was years ago, but I wrote it by hand. I threw them away. This one I'll type out and I'll save it to my mm-hmm. files so that if I ever, if I get moved again in the future, I can use it in another parish somewhere for some other event or whatever like that. So these are the important things to always remember to do. Save your talks. I'm learning this. Save your talks, save your mm-hmm. talks, mm-hmm. save your talks. But uh, yeah, so that's what I think I'm going to do. And then uh, we were going to do a men's recollection on St. Joseph's day. Um, but I, I've decided to cancel that because I can't mm-hmm. do both and cause that's all in one week. And so yeah. we'll, st- I'll, I'll still have a mass for St. Joseph's day in the morning. I think uh, why not, but both, uh, a parish mission and then doing a men's recollection on, th- on Saturday morning, I think is a little, a little too much. It's too bad. Sure. You're going to, you're missing out on an amazing Italian place for dinner before, yeah. rec- before Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. They make their own pasta. Sad. They make their own pasta. Or uh, wait, how do you well, wait, how, wait, wait, pasta, wait? Pasta, 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 pasta. Hey, we're gonna have some pasta over here. You want some pasta? Some marinara sauce? <laughs> well, no, Americans tend to say pasta. Like I thought, well, pasta, pasta. I don't know. But then I say amen. You guys say amen. Uh, it depends. It, my seminary said amen. Oh, interesting. And when I read the gospel, I say amen. But oh, most parishes are trained to say amen. Yeah, yeah. because Americans sound American. That's true. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And, so, yeah. Uh, and before yeah. we move yeah. on, you mentioned Canon Law. And I just wanted to give a shout out to our wonderful producer, Producer Nick, for his <laughs> bumper, his like three second bumper he made for Ed Condon. <laughs> he just keeps rolling out the hits. He does. Uh, I, I expected him to be even lazier and just take uh, theological emergencies and just put yeah. canonical in, in there, you know. Right. But uh, but he still managed to do something like creative that is both dumb and entertaining and brilliant at the same time. And I still don't I, know how he does it. And I, I, well, it. I think I think it's relaking for him. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> I, I think it's I think it gives him a chance to do things he doesn't get to do every day. That's my that's my Good. sense. We'll find out. Well, I hope so. He he may even insert a response into all this. <laughs> he might. He does that sometimes. He does it sometimes. Uh, yes. But we're going back to a new old favorite, regular old bumper that we've uh, been doing for a little bit here. It's called theological emergencies. Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial one at any time. 
Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological Emergency. We'll take your call at 412-912-7995. Hi, this is Roy from Colorado. I was just listening to your episode about cloning Jesus, and just a weird thought popped in my head. What if they were to take the shrouded Torah and clone him from that? Would he... I'm, I was just wondering, because I'm assuming he wouldn't have the Holy Spirit, or his spirit from God. Um, and also, if we do get to a point cloning humans, would they have a spirit? Because they weren't created in the natural form. Um, I was just wondering. The episode title got me thinking. Thanks. I love your show, by the way. Well, Roy from Colorado, if that is your real name. Uh, so, I, I, minor correction, I don't think our show was on cloning Jesus. We didn't do a whole topic on cloning Jesus, but uh, it I must have been something this. we said and Nick put in the title because that sounds provocative. <laughs> I, I don't even remember this. Did we talk uh, about I'm this? I'm sure it's something like I said about like little Jesuses or living in Christ or something. Huh. Um, but the point is, this, this <laughs> thought popped into uh, Roy from Colorado's head. Yes. And I find it fascinating. So I figured let's, let's talk about this. <laughs> Christology is um, going through my head already. Right. Okay. Um, sometimes the weirdest questions make you actually think very theologically deeply. I don't know how deeply we'll think, but we'll give it a shot. Um, so let's just assume Shroud of Turin super legit. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons I think the Shroud of Turin is legit. Um, and you get DNA from Jesus and um, you do the Jurassic Park thing where you take like the DNA from Jesus and mix it with like a newt or whatever and you... <laughs> it sounds sacrilegious. She turns me just into a newt! <laughs> Sorry. Holy Grail reference. Couldn't help myself. Yes, yes. Good. Okay. Um, so maybe let's step, take a step back and just talk about cloning in general. It's bad. Because you can't just say it's not a person because it's a natural thing. Because um, there's in vitro fertilization, and that isn't strictly speaking natural. But what comes out is still a human being with a soul, um, even though it's not a thing that's like condoned by the church, right? Um, and you're, you're getting to a certain point that the soul is something made by God. God is the one who ensouls us. Um, so that's, that's purely the action by God. Mm -hmm. Um, so to have a clone, it would be kind of a terrifying thing. So first of all, cloning is bad because we shouldn't take that kind of act of creation on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, but then the question is Harrison, I think like, would God give that human simulacrum a soul? So, um, it's hard to think about the speculatively without knowing what the data is like on the ground sure. and to know what the experience of things are is on the ground. My sense is to say yes, because we have to remember bodies to be human is to be a body soul composite. Um, so if they lack a soul, they're not human. Mm -hmm. And um, if the body, even if it's an unnatural way of formation, because my sense is with cloning is it would still have to grow in a normal way through, like at least with technology we have right now, through some mm -hmm. woman having implantation in her womb. Um, and so they would be, uh, they would grow in that natural way just through a cloned um, fetus, I guess, or something like yeah. that. So, I mean, not not a guy who knows much about cloning, but right. um, but still the body and so the body, the human human nature by its nature even if it's unnaturally started, 
is still naturally human right so the reason the church has a moral objection to it is it goes it goes against the way god has deigned god has deigned human life to be created mm-hmm. so um we're we're not following god's mode of causation essentially um but i would foresee probably there would be a soul there because you otherwise the body would be inhuman and they would lack rational qualities free will etc they would be an animal with a human brain who may not even be able to function like a human the soul is what gives us this ability to see to see the world rationally um and it's pretty normal for a body to have that yeah so like i mean there are clones of like sheep and stuff right yes and those sheep have little sheep souls for what those are worth um not much now because like soul soul in the traditional philosophical sense is just an animating principle it's not it's not necessarily a separate like when we talk about animal soul it's not like a separate thing so that when the animal dies its animal soul dies too it doesn't exist forever because it's not it's not it's not created directly by god in a very basic sense the soul is what makes a thing move be alive yeah so uh in the philosophical sense plants have a kind of soul because plants are living on some level yeah and then what makes humans special is our rational nature and all that good stuff yeah um so i mean it's possible that you would try to clone a human person and you would have this terrifying zombie creature abomination that has a human body and an animalistic soul and uh that's the stuff horror movies are made out of yep uh and then we should all uh clothe ourselves in in sackcloth and ashes and uh fear the wrath of god yes um okay so, so, but now Jesus, right? So here's the thing: what is the traditional doctrine on Christology is that um, Jesus is one person with new two natures hypostatically united to his person, right? Hypostasis in Greek is the word we use for for person here, and so it's a it's a it's a union of natures under one person. Okay, if we were to clone Jesus's body. It would be a human body, but it would not be Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can't be because the person is a t- is is the result of the union of two natures, uh, and it's his person, it's his divine person that act in his human nature without destroying it. The, in this case, the human nature would exist without union with the divine person, and therefore it would just be it would be kind of like. Um, it would be, it'd actually be, it'd probably be like, if you will, maybe the historical Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah, it would be you know, the historical Jesus. The, the Jesus who exists, who's a nice teacher, who has no divine properties, you know, uh, uh, is essentially what would happen here. <laughs> you would have, you would have a, a Jewish man with the worst existential crisis of any human being ever. Uh, and, uh, what if what I if must go clone... and find my father, but I can't because I don't have the divine nature that is supposed to be united to me? <laughs> oh my gosh, this feels so weird even talking about. Um, but like you would ha- like, what if this this human being who was not Jesus, who had Jesus's face, what if he turned out to be kind of a jerk or just kind of annoying? Like his personality isn't all um, you know through biology. There's there's nature and nurture in that. It would be horrible. So uh, it would not, but it would not be for sure. For sure, it would not be jesus qua jesus if you right. will um and it would yeah. be like the world's greatest yeah. sacrilege ever yeah well this is the other thing it is not jesus because it's not him it's not his person united to that humanity anymore mm-hmm. it's not his divine person there so because his person is according to his divine nature not to his human nature 
it's at act it's an inaction through his humanity yep good Christo- christology saves every every bi- uh, bioethical problem it does it does good <laughs> all right all right what's the next one hello father harrison and father anthony um this is ray um I my question is in in the course of your guys' discernment was religious life ever an option for you guys did that ever pop up and what advice would you guys have for um, especially for for younger men who are trying to discern between diocesan priesthood and religious priesthood um, love the podcast thank you guys for your work and have a great day Will Ray if that's your real name um, it's I think. As you may, if you if you have listened to our earlier episodes on discernment, especially, and vocation, I'm a big fan of Ignatius's tools for discernment. Saint Ignatius's tools for discernment, and I really believe that there's that notion of election, right? That God has to call you out of the state to marriage to follow Him in this radical way. Uh, uh, through and then, but I think you bring up a good point because, like in my own experience of discernment, weirdly enough, like. Religious life popped through my mind a little bit, and I think I think a lot of it just has to do with what what are we exposed to. Um, you, you'd be amazed how often vocations arise by what people are exposed to around them. It's it's it's, um, it's why I think if you have a diocese with very few religious orders in it, it's very hard for religious for young men and women to discern religious life to those orders there, because they don't see it. They don't experience it. And so it's hard to really enter into discernment. Um, so my, my diocese has almost no religious. And uh, um, so my experience was of diocesan priesthood. And so it really became the default position for me. Um, in the course of my discernment, I thought a little bit, I had a kind of a bit of a romantic attraction to the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. And actually by Providence, I went to a friend's ordination in New York and I stayed with the Friars a couple of times when I went out to visit him. And, um, God made it very clear when I was there that that was not an option. <laughs> and honestly, knowing myself, I probably would have died a horrible death if I became a CFR. Uh, <laughs> well, by this, I mean, like, I just, looking at it now, I'm like, it was a romantic ideal. It wasn't any real discernment there. Um, I, I In seminary, there was those times where I thought, well, maybe the Jesuits, because I love Ignatian spirituality, and I love the intellectual side, like that there's a real opportunity to live out an intellectual vocation in their order, I thought was really attractive to me. Um, but it never really came to fruition. Um, I think, for at least on my end, uh, I would say there's two things. One is, is God put a particular charism in your heart where you think there's a particular order that lives that out uh, more radically that you think that that's supposed to be in? I think if that's the case, that that becomes a clear, um, that becomes a clear sign. Uh, secondly, you know, in now what's not universally the case, it's not when one enters, like, for example, that I know some, a few diocesan priests who have become religious. For mm-hmm. example, right? Uh, diocesan priesthood, like it was a, really interesting. I remember talking uh, to uh, to a few priests who have told me, like, "Oh, yeah, well, I talked to my bishop about moves, and well, I could do this ministry, I could do that ministry." And I was surprised how little parish ministry showed up in some of their assignments. And I'm like, "Wait, you can do, you can be a diocesan priest and not do." 
parish ministry because that seems to be the only option in my diocese. Yeah, right. uh, and I was like, oh, that was, that was actually a very freeing thought to think about that, that one could be a very faithful diocesan priest and live out various charisms within the context of his diocese. So that's always something to consider too. But I also think often vocation comes out of the concrete circumstances we're in. And so I think God often calls because they've been exposed to a Jesuit or a Dominican or a Franciscan. Uh, I think it's why you know, diocesan priests who entered seminaries because they had a very positive experience of diocesan priesthood in their own life and so on and so forth. I actually think that's a pretty normal way for God to use in discernment. And so, you know, don't, don't, don't overcomplicate it. Yeah. You know, it, that makes a lot of sense thinking about um, Jesus saying to those who have more will be given. Mm-hmm. Um, when religious orders put themselves out there, uh, when diocesan priests put themselves out there and really search for vocations, more will be given in the areas that uh, they don't do that. They're, what they have will be taken away. I think that that's may account for some of the growth or decline in vocations. But my answer is very similar to yeah yours, Harrison's, uh, that uh, Basically, the diocesan priest was the priesthood for me. Now, in my diocese, we've got a healthy amount of Capuchin Franciscans, and there was one Capuchin Franciscan who would occasionally, or pretty often actually, um, help out with masses at my parish. A lot of times I would serve for him. Uh, and so I, I've always had a fondness for the, the Capuchins because of that, um, but never real attraction to it. It just didn't mm-hmm. click for me, even though this one guy, and God rest his soul, was a good and holy priest. He's passed on to the Lord. Uh, but uh, he was very aggressive with his recruitment. Um, <laughs> he was like, oh, you want to be a priest? You should be a Capuchin. Right. And he was like, <laughs> it was not a matter of discernment for him. It's like, no, you should be, just be a Capuchin. And part of me respects that kind of gung-ho <laughs> yeah. attempt, but just was never going to click for me. And then in seminary, much like you, when uh, when things got difficult, I had this romantic idea of religious life where I could just run away and be a happy monk somewhere. Um, and I think anyone in religious life will tell you uh, things are, are not that simple. No. So that was never been a, an attraction for me. But I will say this, um, not that I'm actively discerning uh, anything, but in a certain way, now that I've been ordained five years a priest, I'm in a, a stable and healthy assignment right now. Um, a lot of the pressures that I was experiencing just from growing up uh, in the priesthood and dealing with things, those things are gone. It's kind of opened me up in prayer to at least re-examine or rediscover um, what does it mean for me to be a priest and what am I doing and what is my heart called to in particular ministry and not just this kind of universal priesthood thing. So, I mean, nothing major on that front, but it's, it is in my own life. It's uh, There's still a discernment that goes on. Uh, but a much diff- different level. I'm very happy being a priest. Mm-hmm. I love being a diocesan priest. But uh, yeah, it's sometimes it's something you think about. But um, there's not kind of a pressure or a tug on my heart like I felt uh, for diocesan uh, priests in the beginning. So yeah, for that, for what that's worth. Yeah, and um, in the end, it's it's. I think again, I think we can overcomplicate discernment in general, yeah. uh, because God's will is not some puzzle to figure out that you have to put all these pieces together it's a it's a listening spirit to see if he's put something on your heart to go in a particular direction we are today because of how spread out things are nowadays um where we maybe like and i i especially feel for 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 women who like so my diocese there are young women who've been thinking about religious life but there's almost no religious orders here so how do you discern that problem we have to fly to places and it's really it's kind of awkward in many ways you don't get because like in a lot of these communities they'll let you just pop in once in a while and volunteer with them as you kind of figure things out and you see what this is i also think when it comes you know a lot of people choose religious at least on the men's side they choose religious life over priesthood because of the community aspect which Mm -hmm. i i don't 
disagree with, and I, I actually would go the opposite and say diocesan priesthood by its nature has to be communitarian. We just really sucked at doing that. Um, yeah. And I think too many priests live as a bachelor too much. And it, and I get it when you, I live on my own. Um, yeah. I, it's very easy to get into used to your own ways and stuff, but I and actually, I think community life should be vital to being a diocesan priest. Uh, and I don't think bishops should be giving guys options to say, Nope, you're all the, these guys, you live in this area. You, you have different parishes. Fine. Living in the same rectory. Um, because that does a lot of good for the soul and it does a lot of good for your humanity because I, I've discovered when communities lived well, uh, it can be really sanctifying, uh, in religious life. And why can't we have that in diocesan priesthood, I think is a really important question. So, um, yeah, don't overcomplicate it. If you think there's a particular charism God's put on your heart, um, live it out also it's not impossible and like so for myself i'm still waiting on a couple small things but like i've really been discerning living out the charism of the pauline family within the context of my dust and free priesthood so that because i've always had this desire to live out poverty chastity and obedience um but priests diocesan priests don't make vows of poverty so i've found a way to live a charism within the context of being a diocesan priest that i think is quite life-giving attaches me to a larger community that i may not have like daily access to but i know i can be friends with uh um, visit with talk to lean on etc um that's really life-giving to me um so uh, the church has many options and um, sometimes it's just make a choice for one. And if the church, if God doesn't really want you there, he'll make it known. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think one of the major things for me, the sermon of religious life versus, uh, diocesan priesthood is a matter of, uh, spirituality. Yeah. Um, if you're attracted to that kind of, uh, charism of a particular religious order, yeah. that's a good sign. Uh, if you, in your heart, the main thing is to be a priest. I think that's something you should pay attention to as well yeah so. and also if you're discerning a religious community really the best way to discern is how big their liquor cabinet it is the larger it is probably the better off they are because they have more spirits yeah exactly uh in that case you should uh visit some rectories as well uh, just to, you know, <laughs> compare contrast quality quantity uh taste uh my pastor makes a mean uh manhattan he really he's he's great uh so yeah, you know, that's something to think about as well. Yes, yes, there we go. All right, let's get into presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. <laughs> I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn <laughs> it's my favorite part. It's the best part. <laughs> Yes, yes, quite. Yes, right. quite. So sometimes when we're preparing for a show, one of the best ways uh, that we do it is like, hey, what's kind of been going on in our lives? And uh, I, I noticed a thread last few weeks for me. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, priestly um, celibacy and that kind of lived experience of that. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, uh, as as anyone listening uh, for a while knows, I am a millennial. I'll be turning 33, holy smokes, in May. And as a millennial, I participate in multiple podcasts, mm -hmm. this one being the first and foremost, but I also am a co-host on a rotating basis at the Taylor Schroll's Forte Catholic podcast, which is a fun podcast. I recommend it. If I, you know, I, I am a part of it. I think it's a good thing. Anyway, uh, so uh, Taylor, the host, was asking me a question. Uh, and peppering me, peppering me with a few questions. And he's a guy who's in ministry, who's seen um, the beautiful and ugly side of the church. As many uh, lay ministers know, uh, you know the struggles of all of that. And uh, he asked me this question. He says, you know, 
there are Catholic priests who are married, Byzantine Catholics, uh, some Anglican converts and that sort of thing. Do you ever get mad that there are priests out there who can be priests and be married? And he was saying, because I think I would be ticked off at that. That seems unfair, which is an interesting question. I like the way he phrased it. And then uh, just the other day, I was uh, going through priesthood in my um, RCAA class. And it was interesting because I had, you know, the, the theological, a little bit of the historical stuff planned. Uh, but it ended up uh, us talking a lot about kind of my lived experience of the priesthood. And of course, things like celibacy and, and things like the abuse crisis came up. And we had a really great conversation about it. And then just the other day, actually the same day I was doing RCIA, I was able to go say mass for our little diocesan seminary. And so seeing these young guys discerning stuff um, in a major way for the first time and uh, preaching to them and that sort of thing uh, got me all thinking about this. Uh, and it's been a while since we talked about celibacy, so let's do a little celibacy talk. Is that cool with you, Father Harrison? Sounds, sounds good. Just, uh, yeah, quick, can I, can I just give a quick shout out? I, we, I, we haven't done the Summa for a while, but I literally yeah. just saw this from Father Dan. Just, just, okay. be, just before we go too serious. Okay. Uh, he quote tweets this quote, this tweet. Uh, it says, inside you are two wolves. One it has generalized anxiety disorder. The other has adult ADHD. The one who, win, who wins is, oh, wait, I'm just receiving word that they're teaming up. They're a team now. So that's happening. And Father Dan says, welcome to Clerically Speaking. <laughs> 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 uh, oh my gosh thanks so, Father Dan there you go I just wanted I, I saw that I'm like I have to share this now because that's just too good uh, uh yeah okay yeah sorry that is good anyway no, let's get to no. ser- let's get serious again okay so uh I'll start you off with the question that Taylor asked me you ever get jealous of those married priests Harrison as a guy who's heard enough confessions of people who are married no <laughs> no, I, I, I say that half tongue in cheek, half tongue in cheek. Because yeah. I, I also do know marriage is no easy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's. I don't get mad because. Um, I've never, ex- like I said, it's pretty rare I experience loneliness in priesthood, surprisingly mm-hmm. enough, as an extrovert and everything, partially because I'm usually just got too much going on to have time to feel lonely. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing. I don't know. But um, uh, for me, like when I was discerning, I, what really gave me the ability to say yes was the experience of that election I was talking about in theological emergencies there, right? And and really experiencing this call from God. And I really trusted that. because. But at the same time, that desire for marriage ha- had always been in strong in me. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I would, you know, yeah, of course, who wouldn't want, like, if you, a vocation ought to, a good, I think, a, a good call to priesthood ought to be in a man who also really loves marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so you should, if if you're, if you don't have that, <laughs> you're gonna make a horrible priest. Um, and so I'm not angry at all. Uh, Larry Chap had a 
little good essay a month ago or so, who guy who's been on our podcast a couple times about celibacy in the church and how um, he's he goes to the ordinariate parish and something had happened in his in his priest's family or something like that and so it was about um i i can't remember it now but he was giving an honest reflection around the relationship between marriage and priesthood and he was actually of the opinion that maybe it's something we need to be discussing again um and i thought he made some good points in the essay to be honest um and actually for me where where it's been positive and where i've seen positive experiences of it is has been actually in those priests who've come over from the Anglican Church who are married priests. We have we have an ordinary parish in our diocese with um, and we also have we have a guy who's a, in our diocese because he became a priest before the ordinary was ever established. Uh, and he's a pastor of a parish now. And I've always um, really appreciated him in many ways because I've seen how family has formed him into being such a good, normal human being. Yeah. You learn how to be a father in this pretty natural way that can be lost on a priest if he's not surrounding himself with the right people all the time. Um, and I think there are some virtues and some life lessons that are learned there that I think are harder for us to learn because we just essentially live on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never been angry about it i actually i look at those priests as real gifts of men i can learn from mm-hmm. um i look at it as this is the reality in which i've been called to priesthood so that's what i have to learn to embrace um and so there's no resentment there's no struggle i mean because like here's the th- i think this is the thing people don't understand the call to celibacy never removes the desire for marriage yeah right uh, it doesn't. That's not the. That's not. That's part of the sacrifice here. Yeah. And I think if that desire remains in a healthy place in you, you learn to love and be close to families, because you see the gift of marriage, and they in turn see the gift of priesthood. I think there is also at the same time a real gift to celibacy that we too often undermine. I won't lie. I think there could be some real benefits to married priests. Sometimes <laughs> I just look at it like just having like that. If you, because I, I think it would be a lot different if priests didn't live alone in rectories. Yeah. Sure. Um, having people you could come home to, to talk things through and work things and just hang out with companionship, friendship, whatever, however comes out in life through celibacy, or if you're married with, with a spouse are very vital to being human. Um, so I recognize, like, I I think for me, where ever, where it hit the hardest, where it, the desire, but again, it was never bitterness, but that desire for companionship was the most was probably actually during lockdowns. Yeah. Cause you're literally alone. <laughs> I could yeah. never be a hermit, obviously. Um, and you have to recognize that. And I think that's part of the suffering and the cross of it all. Um, and it's not a, but it's not, and it's not a bad thing. Like it's not a, like it's my thing. I've never seen these things as bad experiences, bad things. I'm sorry, I'm rambling on a bit here, but it's for me, it's a very complex question because I, it's not, it's a, it's a very deep discipline in the church, Mm -hmm. and to change it overnight would be impossible because I don't think people recognize the sacrifices they would have to make to support married priests. Um, and I think there's a real gift to celibacy. 
And I think there is a real importance to it in the world today that uh, too easily gets overlooked because all we think about is sex and companionship. Right. And that's, we all know that that's just one aspect of marriage. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. It was a good ramble. It was a coherent ramble. Okay, good. Um, and, and, and that's what, you know, when we're talking about this stuff, it's, it's, um, especially on a personal level, it can be a little bit more difficult to kind of uh, parse it out. But yeah. yeah, so like my reaction, my first like gut reaction to that question is no, because I, I like my life. Yeah. Like I'm very happy with my state in life. Mm-hmm. It's something that I discerned for eight years in a very concentrated way that I've been living out for five years now. Um, and I, I can't imagine being the priest I want to be and being uh, the husband I would want to be at the same time. Um, I don't think I could do that, uh, nor do I have the desire to do that in mm-hmm. the sense that, um, I yeah, I absolutely find marriage as a beautiful, attractive thing. You know, seeing uh, hey, my family, um, the producer family, uh, growing together in virtue and, and having their family, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, other good friends of mine, like I see, I see the beauty and the sacrifice in that, um, and there's an attraction to that, but it's not something that... I want in the sense that like something I'm attracted to, but in order for me to get that, I would have to give up what I have now. I want to keep what I have now. Right. Um, With, you know, all the beauty and the sacrifice of a celibate life. Mm -hmm. I could not be the same kind of priest if I was married. I could still do the sacraments. I could still be compassionate, but there's something intangible uh, almost about the gift of celibacy Mm -hmm. um, uh, where everyone can equally call me father that I can belong to them in a way that I could not if I was married. Because in a certain sense, and this is what makes living celibacy so supernatural, mm-hmm. is that all relationships on this plane of existence have an aspect of exclusivity mm-hmm. uh, from the very basic level. Like your best friend is your best friend in part because nobody else is your best friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, your spouse is your spouse in part because nobody else is your spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's good to have different circles of friendship. You have mm-hmm. your close friends, you have your good friends, you have your acquaintances, and that's healthy and normal mm-hmm. and good because in this life, there has to be a kind of exclusivity. Mm-hmm. What we live as celibates, see, um, as celibates is we start to live the heavenly life now. Mm-hmm. So, and it's a hard thing to imagine, and I would argue impossible to imagine, we can kind of barely comprehend it, that in heaven, our relationships will be even more profoundly intimate right. and they will not have that exclusivity. Right. And that's because we'll be living them radically in God. Right. Okay. And so we're living that life now, even though that doesn't actually exist in this life. So that's why right. it's supernatural. That's why it's a grace. Right. Um, and so I even talked about this with uh, my RCA group, um, that uh, there is that kind of, there is a pain in the fact that so, uh, and this is, I've talked about this before, the analogy of being married to the church. I think, I think a lot of analogies in the church that we take for granted, um, we can sometimes misinterpret or misunderstand or just forget what an analogy really is. Um, because on one hand, I am very much so married to the church. Right. Uh, but I am not married to my people. Right. Uh, because marriage, there are certain demands uh, certain obligations that the couple has to each other, and not just the sexual ones, uh, the exclusivity, the yeah. companionship, all of that. 
And it would be wrong and abusive for me to get that from my parishioners. Right. Um, yes. I have to live yes. a certain kind of exclusivity in that sense. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I give myself radically to all of them. Um, and so that's the, the beauty and the sacrifice of living a celibate life that, um, that people share either their deepest, darkest regrets, their greatest joys. Um, and it can be emotionally kind of radical. Uh, just the other day, a few weeks ago, I uh, was just, uh, we have a funeral home that's a block from the church. So whenever we have a funeral there, we just walk there. And um, tough funeral, the guy passed away, was 30 years old. First time I've done a funeral for somebody younger than me. And, you know, talking to the deceased's parents uh, and praying with them and getting ready for mass and everything. And I'm walking back and all of this is weighing heavily, um, thinking about all these things. And as I'm crossing the street, all of a sudden, I hear these uh, young, squeaky voices coming from a minivan saying, Hi, Father Anthony! And it was his family I see at Mass all the time. I've been at their house one time, and they saw me on the street, and they all were waving and saying, Hi, Father Anthony. Mm-hmm. And it was, it made my day. Like, it was such emotional whiplash. Mm-hmm. And that's very often where we live, going yeah. from moment to moment. And there are some days where it's just like a lot of boring paperwork all day or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something, I think, that kind of thing is related to the gift of celibacy, where in a certain sense you are all things to all people, you are everyone's father, mm-hmm. um, but those people don't belong to you right. the way yeah, that yeah. your oh, spouse yeah, yeah. belongs to you. And Does I that make sense? That, yeah, so two things there. One is I think yeah. this is why um, you get a lot of weird priests because they don't see this or they confront right. the analogy too much, over-spiritualizing and leaning on others for their needs. Now, what, with that, Every priest is going to have um, issues, emotional, sure. human issues. We all we got all, issues, baby. Guess what? <laughs> Welcome to being human, folks. Yeah. Your yeah. priest is not God. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you're always going to find yourself, perhaps. Uh, but I've seen it with I've seen it with priests. I've always been very conscious of this. I've been trying to be conscious of this. Of uh, there are people almost. Uh, there's almost like a weird codependency that happens. Yes. Where they need their people to want them so that they can feel loved. Mm-hmm. And that's always dangerous, by the way. <laughs> it's very dangerous. Yes. Because I don't want to be the priest who becomes codependent on others or who has these weird exclusive relationships with certain women in a parish or people in a parish. If your priest seems cold sometimes, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's that he's trying to love everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. that's really hard to do. And we also know, though, too, like it's not perfect. There are always going to be people who are going to be easier to become enter into friendship with in a parish as a priest than others sure. just because they're more active, things click, whatever. That's just the natural state of things. Um, but, I, you know, so I've had to worry. I've always worked through that. And I've always but I've always felt I've been reasonably self-aware to notice that where that's one thing. The other thing is, and this is where. I'm almost a little jealous of women religious (laughs) Mm -hmm. is the church is an abstraction for a priest. Mm -hmm. Jesus is not correct. And so the intimacy, I, and you see this, like you Mm -hmm. go to a convent and you see female religious pray. Holy, they are in love with their beloved. Mm-hmm. And, and and it is a feminine way of expressing things for sure. You, but you see yeah. this, like it's very tangible. It's like 
it affects you in a really powerful and beautiful way. Um, and men relate to things differently, but love your, if the, the church is your bride, that's a very large abstraction. And I think that's where priests fall into this error of conflating their parish with the church. Yeah. Actually, no, the church is your local church, which is the diocese, at least as diocesan priests. Mm-hmm. That's, that's your bride, which was why your bishop has the ability to move you as he sees fit. Cause, um, you are expressing his one fatherhood for the whole bride. Um, so never, I always, that's why I've always had this, like, I think some people feel it's cold. I've always had this cold, almost cold detachment when I get moved from a parish, not because I don't love the people in my former place, but it's like, well, this is where I am now. That's mm-hmm. where I need to love. And this is where I need to be. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. And I, and I, I, I'm okay with not having to establish long-term connections in the last place, not because I don't love them, but they have a new, they have a new priest there to take care of them. And this is where I need to put my focus. And so that conflation I think is dangerous. And that, that abstra- and I've always had, I've always found a hard time de-abstract, de-abstracting the church, if that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. A lot of what you said makes a, a lot of sense to me. Be watchful of your own heart um, where you're getting your comfort from or friendship mm-hmm. from or this yeah. and you have to just be watch out for that and that's something that actually uh, you know thank goodness I think seminaries are much better at at least mine uh, were um, in a lot of ways uh, kind of talking about that integration and all that jazz um, and I you know uh, just uh, the other day I was talking with some people who who have been working for the church for a long time and they were telling me horror stories of a, a friendship that was not not you know, in any sort of sexual way, but kind of just mm-hmm. emotionally codependent. Yes. Um, that that caused a lot of trauma among these church workers. Exactly. Uh, between your priest and one of the other, you know, workers. Um, like I said, nothing nothing scandalous in, in right. the physical sense, but it, it it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see the wounds of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's one of those things, it, what's the phrase like um, building a wall around the Torah? Like you, you check yourself before things get into before you get into trouble. Yeah. You're kind of just always uh, aware of that. And a lot of times, a lot of times you're, this isn't like a um, paranoia or anything. It's just, I think it's just called being an adult in a yeah. certain sense. <laughs> like being aware that I, you have feelings, thoughts, emotions, mm-hmm. and just being aware of those and afraid of those and willing to check those and having people around you. So that's, that's a huge part of uh, living any vocation, but definitely in a particular way, living a celibate one. Yeah. Uh, you know, absolutely. Um, and uh, it was interesting uh, that one of the guys in my RCA classes, he's a former Navy guy, you know, military guy. Um, and uh, he finds himself very quickly agreeing with a lot of the church stuff because of his experience. Hmm. Um, and I remember talking about, I was talking about just this very thing about celibacy. And he said, um, uh, as someone who lives something analogously, being very married to your job, being told where to go, what to do, being have to pick up and move, um, that he saw a lot of like a heavy divorce rate uh, in the Navy because of that, because right. of quote unquote being married to your job. So on just a very natural level, it's a difficult thing to do. Now, that being said, I think uh, married uh, priests, they, they don't get moved around in the same sort of way. You have to make allowances uh, for that. There the has to be a kind of two obedient. The priest has two obediences. Yes, yes. You have to be obedient to, yeah. Mm-hmm. The bishop uh, has to talk to the wife, too. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so there's practical things, but yeah. the, that's never the main reason, but it is a reason. Yeah. Everything about it. Um, uh, and it's also interesting because, like, going back to my old seminary, um, it was funny because the chapel is now totally revamped. 
Um, and it's gorgeous now. It was very simple before, but now it's like this almost Byzantine-esque sort of thing. And seeing the guys, um, and funny having some PTSD. So there were guys walking in, and some of them, Harrison, they had open-toed shoes, wearing chacos, what? sandals. Whoa. Some of them didn't even have their shirt tucked in. What? And not only that, some of them weren't wearing collared shirts. They all looked like regular dudes. And I had two thoughts. Things one are getting was slapped. how... What, my one thought, like someone wearing jeans. Oh my goodness. So I had two thoughts. One was how dare they not suffer like I suffered. And then on the other hand, it's like, this is actually way more human and normal. <laughs> There's something good about that. Um, and it was also very funny. One of the priests there, who was one of the formators, uh, I was in seminary with for a year. And I was automatically comforted because just like... 15 years ago he was still the worst singer in the chapel and that brought back happy memories but anyway <laughs> yeah it made me think about like my time in in seminary like this question was much more difficult for me back then because mm-hmm. on one hand i was 18 and stupid mm-hmm. um and i say that without any kind of regret you're supposed to yeah. be stupid when you're 18 there's nothing yeah. wrong with that um and like it was a question that would haunt me this thing about celibacy and a lot of times it was about just the uh, the marital act was the thing that was haunting me more than, and mm-hmm. you know, our conversation now, it, it really hasn't been about that thing. Exactly. Um, and you see this with like older priests when we talk about them too. That's not the, like the, the main thing, not to underplay it in any sort of right. way or the, the beauty of that sort of thing. Um, but it's just, I was very grateful for the place I am in now, uh, where those questions have been settled. Yeah. And there's something beautiful about, making the active choice to accept your vocation. Yep. Um, and there's also a certain, like, beautiful simplicity to celibacy. Like, I, I was flat out telling my RCA group, uh, the rules for me are very simple. Um, I know exactly what I'm not supposed to do. It's very simple. Universal rule, you know. Uh, for them, it's much more complicated because you have this other person in this relationship with all their thoughts, feelings, desires, memories, personality uh the communication you need to navigate that um when is it appropriate to engage in the act to have a child all these other things like it's way more complicated and it is a heavy cross Mm -hmm. and uh i don't have that my life in that sense is very simple um and i'm actually kind of grateful for that in a lot of ways it is simpler. I mean, in, in, in many practical ways too, right? Like, well, in some ways it's not. Try- <laughs> yeah, in some ways it's not. Right, wait, wait, right, right. wait till you're a pastor. <laughs> I always say this to every new priest. I'm like, enjoy being an assistant. Never be in a rush to be a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just embrace the freedom. <laughs> um, but the, it is simple. I think we do one little correction I would just throw with that is yeah. make sure that that notion that this it's simple equates towards other things like so that we were talking about like emotional boundaries and stuff like that oh, right yeah. Like, yeah yeah mm-hmm. like I think sometimes priests will be like oh yeah this is very simple but not checking <laughs> okay, the other yeah. areas where they need to be right um, mm-hmm. because uh, you're right this is like so uh, when I was a newly ordained priest I may have shared it on here before but um, when I was newly ordained a priest our bishop kind of insisted that I have like a lay support committee um, so the pastor of the parish I was in and the office manager uh, who I I actually hired as the 
receptionist when I was the office manager at Cathedral. She was on it. Uh, someone from Madonna House, a woman from Madonna House, consecrated single person was there, and then a married man uh, who was on our parish council. And all people, all three people knew me very well. And that's why I wanted them on there. Um, and they all offered very different perspectives. And I would talk, and, and I trusted them so much I could even talk about some of this stuff. Um, and it was really reassuring to me to hear that this is actually not unique and actually you're not alone and this literally goes through every these these struggles these questions these all this stuff goes through everyone in regardless of vocation you're married like we were talking about earlier you can be married and you could you know find yourself maybe things are rough in the relationship right now but there's someone else at work who you really get along with um those things pop up or someone else is desiring you at work yeah. mm. and you're getting chased down and um, these things pop up in life. Yeah. And uh, so it was really, really like I really, I, I'm really grateful that my bishop asked for that. Uh, I still look fondly at being at that experience of being able to share that. It, it helped me realize that because I think the problem, and I think this is why I think that especially to ask some priests, we need to live in community again because um, we can, if you live alone, it can be so easy to think, Oh crap. I'm so weird because I'm having this thought or yeah. or an attraction or whatever it might be. And you realize, actually, no, that's called being human. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. And and my as my love for Jesus and his church grows, even those things become less and less. Because, like it's, but it's a process over life, mm -hmm. right? And that's why I always say like celibacy is not a one-and-done thing when you make the promise it's something you just as marital love is grown into over time so is celibacy and i'm at a much more mature position about it nowadays than i would have been um even in seminary early on in it etc yeah um so i look at that and i think that i was really grateful for that and and having and that's why i think it's so important for priests to be around families and have mm -hmm. good fa family families who are they can be good friends with who you can share your heart with and you could be yourself with um, and you can share your hopes, dreams, desires, struggles in an honest way mm -hmm. because you'll find very quickly uh, your married friends go through similar things just in a slightly yeah. different way. And so we're all in this together. And, uh, and, and, and celibacy really, it can be a gift. I think I, but again, like I'm also like, I, I remember reading Larry Chap's article and, thinking i think he maybe has a point about the world's changed a lot mm -hmm. and maybe there's a discussion to be had here but we have to also remember as i said earlier and i, I don't want to waste our time with it but i don't there's going to be a lot like the idea of the father being being around 24 7 available for you at all times at all needs would be gone yeah uh you have to give a lot more <laughs> mm -hmm. there's all these practical considerations to take in um I, although at the same time, I also think even with celibacy, I think the days of father being around 24 seven to do everything I want whenever I need him also are also true. gone <laughs> because yeah. we still lack enough priests. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on nine diocesan committees now. <laughs> like it's too many. <laughs> and I'm a pastor and I'm doing my PhD. Woo. Yeah. You and know, you got the uh, parish mission to give to, in a couple days. <laughs> yeah. This uh, is where ADHD is a gift. But, you know, but, yeah. but like, listen, I know, but here's the thing. I, I know my weaknesses really well. I'm pretty self-aware of them. And I could, see, like, I just think about this in a natural way. I could see the benefit of having a, uh, a spouse in life who would know that stuff, who could 
who can make up for one's weakness and support them in that and vice versa. I, I see, I see the benefit, but, um, but I, I'm like, for me, it's, this is the reality of the church we're in right now. And I accept it as a gift because I really do. And, um, and it is a gift and it's a gift that witnesses to the fact that Jesus is real. So real people are willing to give their life over to serve him. Um, yeah. Yeah, and at the end of the day, there will always be celibate priests. Yes. Um, there will always be people called to celibacy, and this was the case in the early church. Even when there were married priests, there were still those who accepted the call to celibacy. And there will always be, um, while there's beauty in priesthood, whether it's uh, married or celibate, there will always be a particular kind of uh, fruitfulness and witness to priestly celibacy. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, even if like a lot of a lot of canonical rules were overthrown and someone said, Anthony, you can get married if you want to. Yeah. My answer would be no, because this is the mm-hmm. life that Christ has called me to. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for it. Like, who am I to say no to that gift? That's, right. To be honest, be given to relatively speaking few. Yep. Um, and it's it's a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful cross as well as a difficult one. So, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Amen. Thanks for listening to Clerically Speaking. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me haunting down baptismal paperwork for my RCIA candidates. And you can find them in Pittsburgh. Oh. <laughs> I deserve that. <laughs> you can find me in Canada. Uh, and at Father Harrison on Twitter. <laughs> Sorry. You can find me crying in my rectory. Contact the podcast to receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at ClericallySpeaking at gmail.com. Do you have a theological emergency? Call 412-912-7995. That's 412-912-7995. It may take 5 to 11 weeks for us to get to your question, much like it will get uh, take for me to get my passport. Peace. God bless.